PGA Nation, we are back, and we are excited to be back. We finally feels like we're back in the swing of things with golf. This week, we're heading to Spencer's Land. We're heading to Vegas for the Shriners, which is, you know, one of the regular events on tour these days. Uh, I'm pretty excited for it. You know, it's definitely not a full field, but it's far from a JV field. We're getting some some good names this week. Some guys are coming out. See, how you doing tonight? Uh, by the way, I caught that. Finally getting back in the swing of things. Golf, swing season. Just perfect. I'm doing well. You know, I missed the last show we did. David took over. I'm sure David's going to be joining us probably next week. We're actually, you know what? Next week, I think I want to I want to have um, one of our one of our famous guests return of the sort of Rolodex that we have. I think maybe we'll uh, spice it up next week. But I'm doing well. Listen, it's busy season, right? Because I do NFL and I do PGA. And it's super exciting. It's a lot of work. It's fun. But uh, I like having both of these, like PGA and NFL is great. But what really disappoints me, to be honest with you, is the, the offerings that DraftKings has for tournaments. Like, come on, man. Like, I understand it's NFL season. NFL is king. No dispute there. But like, you can't have this few selections. I understand it's sort of like the slower time of the season. But I just... It's really, really disappointing. They, you, you just don't have much to choose from, like a two hundred dollars single entry, like the, the the big ticket one where you you know one hundred and fifty max, and then a couple eight dollar ones. Like, come on, DraftKings, you're better than that, right? I think they're losing a lot of players to NFL to football, mm-hmm. and they just aren't filling. They don't fill all the tournaments, so they have to. I think I think it's I, I have to assume it's that. I hope it's not just we don't care about this anymore. We're just going to focus on football because that would be quite disappointing. Um, yeah. How about you, Spence? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm excited for the tournament to be in my backyard. And just to add to the point, what Sia was just saying there, like pricing didn't even come out until, I mean, I guess on like West coast time, it would have been 12 o'clock. So, I mean, if you're looking on the East, you're more in like that three o'clock range. So, um, it's, it's kind of challenging. I mean, especially from like a content producing standpoint. And if people like don't have um like people that are trying to play contests to begin with like if they're going to check like you at least want to see who's going to be playing in the tournament what the pricing is going to be and when you don't have those things i think people don't enter lineups and then as both of you have said it is football season so then everybody's like well i'd rather just put my money into football at that point then i i i would like to think if they got pricing out a little bit earlier it would get content up earlier it would get people in the site uh, more like intrigued to play, but I, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of what we have every single year. It seems like. So I know I'm coming out of left field with this one, but I know it would be a huge overall for golf to do this, but it seems silly for me for golf to try and compete with NFL Sunday when there's nothing happening on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, like golf tournaments during football season should just be during the week when they'll get better ratings because there's nothing else going on. And when you have to compete with an NFL Sunday, like they're just not going to be able to, it's, it's not going to be good for a few months. So that's an interesting point. I mean, like obviously logistically, that's a huge problem because, you know, just changing it to the other side of the week is is an issue. I'm sure for, for a lot of people, because you'd have to change a lot of things, not just the time of the tournament, but yeah, I mean, obviously I say the same thing about baseball season. Like, you know, some of these, some of these outfits just don't have it figured out. I mean, PGA, it's, I mean, just, it's such an overhaul, but like, for example, MLB Sunday night baseball, they have one game and, th- and I'm not even talking about during like the NFL season before the NFL season starts, they have one game. You can, and usually it's a boring game. 
because baseball is boring. But the point is you could have like three or four games on Sunday night and like have a big DFS slate and have like three or four things that people can bet on. Like, it's not that hard. I understand travel and baseball is, is kind of a thing and Mondays are sometimes a day off or a travel day, but like figure it out. You got to be able to own the night when you have it or own the week when you have it. And the only thing baseball has is that time between NBA season and NFL season. So you got to own that time and they just don't know how to do it. So to, to your point with the PGA, I don't think that will ever, that will ever happen, but you're right. If they happen to be on, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, with, with culminating on Thursday uh, before Thursday night football starts. Wow. Like that, we, we'd have a lot to watch for sure. And the shame of it is Liv is going to end up doing it. <laughs> and then they're going to have the viewership because they're like, oh, we'll do anything for desperate for viewers. Uh, anyway, I digress. The Shriners is going to be a fun tournament. Um, a lot to digest this week. Uh, it, there is a, definitely a course of edge. You definitely are going to want to know what to look for on this course because it is a unique course. It's not just, you know, pick anybody or you're going to want to understand uh, how to target guys. And good thing we're bringing the big guns, the best course breakdown in the industry. Spence, tell us what we're looking for this week. So Bobby Weed masterminded TPC Summerlin on the rugged desert terrain in 1991. Fuzzy Zeller was his consultant for that. You're going to see beautiful Las Vegas scenery encompassing a venue that meanders through arroyos and canyons. But the one thing I will say to that is for what you get from an aesthetic standpoint, you do lose on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to difficulty. The last four iterations of this contest have produced right around a 23 under winning total. And while you might notice a nine under par outlier in 2017, I would bypass that event from a modeling perspective since heavy winds ravaged the outcome of the tournament. I will say that Vegas is known to have wins. It doesn't seem like it's going to be the case for that this week. The weather's been really nice here for the last, I mean, for the last week at least. I mean, it's it's warm enough. It's, you're not going to have like those cool temperatures that you sometimes get in the fall. I'm not seeing any wind in the forecast for the most part, other than like your general gusts that come and go. But uh, I don't want to get too in-depth about the ins and outs of the course. It's, you know, birdie shootouts can sometimes provide a headache for us numerically when we do try to put together our research for the week. But the one thing I'll say about this track is that despite it being one of the most accessible stops that players will get all season, the scoring dispersion marks for putting tend to be at or below PGA Tour expectation. That means golfers that can take advantage of their tee to green game should have an advantage over the field. I looked at TPC properties historically. I tried to measure how someone has performed on easy scoring tests. Uh, you know, there is a 3% increase in around the green importance, which I found surprising since the field hits 72% of greens and regulation, but I essentially built my model to find long-term corollary stats on similar designs and then tried to pinpoint in the exact blueprint that we've seen from a strokes gain standpoint over the last four years. So that's going to be rather steady on approach play, rather steady on putting. You do get a little slight decrease on off the tee for whatever reason here. And then the big boost of 3% that you get around the green. And that's a weird thing to say when 72% of greens are being hit in regulation, but my thought process on that, and this is just me coming from when I built the model, I'm trying to figure out why that is because we know that to be true from a statistical perspective at least, is the, the short par fours and the par fives. I believe that around the green matters because you want your first shot on the par fours to get as close to the greens as you can. And then you want somebody with a short game that can get up and down and make birdie there. Same thing to be said on the par fives. I think you want to take that second shot, get up around the greens or as close as you can to it. 
try to get up and down, make birdie. I think that that's where you separate yourself on this course. And it's why we've seen some of these guys in the past that do have really good short games win this tournament or at least compete to win this tournament. There you have it. Um, it actually this week isn't the most complex, right? I think it's short game driver, maybe not. I'm, I almost want to look at targeting bad drivers because it should be an advantage for them this week because that's usually their weakness. Yeah. Shouldn't hurt them as much this week. Um, we'll keep that in mind as we dive in. We're going to dive right into the draft tonight. Uh, audience, I want to congratulate you guys on having a great draft last week. Uh, I'm pretty sure you won, but it's not 100% confirmed. And I thank you for giving me the first pick. It was very gracious of you guys. <laughs> first, so I'm going to be picking first. I'm going to go ahead and put bring the draft screen up now. Um, and then the order tonight is going to go me, Spencer, Sia, and audience. You will be picking last for your efforts of a win. Uh, and then you get to pick twice and we'll go back around the wheel. Feel free to be quick tonight. Get your nominations in while Sia's picking so we can keep this train moving. I have the first pick, and I'm pretty dialed in on who I want to start with. Um, I think it's you know it's something that we've mentioned a lot. Now, the price tag is a little bit higher than I would like, but I think Patrick Cantlay is the best player in the field by a wide margin. Um, I just think he's – I think a top 10 for him is, is very, very likely, and I think he can definitely win this tournament. Paying 1100 for someone is steep, uh, but I just think he's that much better and it's worth the price. Yeah, and I, I don't think the ownership is so outrageous on him either. Like, I was kind of anticipating that we could find this position to where, and it's it's all contest dependent. I want to, like, make that clear. Like, there's certain contests that Cantley will be higher owned than others. But, you know, I'm seeing about 20 21%. If you get into some of these smaller contests, it's going to be more than that. But uh, if we're talking some of these, like, mass entry type fields that you get into, if Cantley's only like 20, 21, 22%, I do think he is the elite player in this field. And um, TPC Summerlin in general, which is at least worth noting when you do take chances like this, the rollover predictability is very strong here. So like what that means is guys that have had success on this course in the past will roll it over from year to year and continue to have success. And, you know, there's very few venues on tour where somebody's going to have a stronger course history appeal than what Cantley has with a first, second, second, eighth over his last four tries. And that 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 sentiment is very similar to the Masters, right? You want to get play guys yes. at the Masters who are consistently good there. Uh, same sentiment, not as famous or popular of a course, but the same sentiment. I would agree. Mm -hmm. All right, Spencer, it's on you, buddy. What do we got? So I'm going to make a – this is not going to be a shocking pick, but I'm going to make a shocking declaration here. I'm going to say Patrick Cantley does not win the tournament. I'm going to give you who the winner of this tournament is going to be. I think Cantley's going to be a great pick. I think he's going to come in the top 10. I think he will be there on Sunday. I don't think he inevitably wins this tournament. The winner of the tournament this week is going to be Aaron Wise at 9,900. And I want to be very cautious with how I say this right now, because this is not the reason why I am selecting him. Aaron Wise's home course is TPC Summerlin. That is not a reason to select somebody just solely based off of that reason. Now, there was a construction that I had not mentioned when I did the course breakdown that was done last year. So they redid some of the greens. They redid some of the rough. They said the contouring is going to all be the same. I don't think it's going to be anything outlandish that players aren't going to be able to quickly pick up. And from what I've heard, there's really not much of a change. I don't believe it hurts that Wise at least is seeing this course day in and day out. So 
now that we've gotten that out of the way, I think Aaron Wise wins this tournament from his ball striking and the way that he sets up for this venue. Like, no matter how I ran my numbers for this, he's fifth when I look at strokes gain total on easy courses. He's the number one player in my model when I looked at weighted par three. He's the number one player in my model when I add in weighted par four to the mix. When I then add in weighted par five of the mix, he still stays up in the top there. That's because he's seventh in my model when it comes to birdie or better percentage on those holes. I think he has a home course advantage here. I think he knows this course really well. And I think that by not getting selected to the President's Cup, you can make the argument that maybe that's why Mackenzie Hughes came out last week, had a little bit extra fire to him. I think Aaron Wise is going to have that same fire for not making the President's Cup and is going to really put it on this week. I mean... Hard to argue with that. I, I, I like Aaron Wise. I'm curious, though, is he going to be even more popular than Patrick Cantley, or is he up there in that range? I'm not looking at ownership right now. I mean, it doesn't mean my ownership projections are right. I see 14.7%, which would put him the seventh most popular player. Like, okay. I am completely fine with that if he is, like, a back-end top 10 option. Totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right. Um, yeah, I like the Aaron Wise call. Um, looking forward to the outrights and first round leaders to see if Spencer has something on the Aaron Wise card there. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, I'm uh, I'm never really prepared. I don't have a strategy coming into this show, uh, but I do have some guys that I'm focused on, and I, I like your rollover, sort of the predictability. Um, year to year from guys who have been successful here. Obviously the converse might be true as well in terms of people who have been unsuccessful, but there are guys at the top that are going to be chalky. I'm going to take one of them. I will say I'm going to try to try to make my roster construction a little bit different, but I'll go ahead and take Sung JM off the board. Uh, a guy that, you know, has been really, really good here and he's been really good lately. I certainly think he's a good course fit. So at 10,400, uh, I'm not, I have no issue paying that price. Uh, I, I just, Sung Jay seems like kind of like an automatic type play here in terms of his viability to be, you know, inside the top 10, the top 12, and perhaps winning this tournament. Yeah, I think that that's where this like tough conundrum comes into play of what we exactly want to do. I think Cantlay, Wise, and Sung Jay are probably your elite three choices this week. Like, I understand Max Homa is a different player than he used to be. I know the course history is not great, and I'm not going to necessarily nail him for that. But, um, you know, you have three of the more popular players in Cantlay, Wise, and M. You're going to have to make decisions. I do think there's a way you can play all three. If you're, you know, you're going to have to get select in other areas, you're going to have to limit down a player pool if you go that route with it. But, um, I mean, to me, in whatever order you want to put it, that probably should have been the first three picks, in my opinion. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so the audience is doing a good job with the nominations. We appreciate you. you know, we know this is at a new time, and so there's going to be it's going to be kind of a slow churn to get that that Tuesday audience back. But you guys, with your quick nominations, are certainly helping the cause. So it looks like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Cam Davis has definitely been nominated as one of them. But I don't think we have a second on any of the other nominations. Thank you, Ivan, Brent, Edward, for the uh, very prompt. Um, while we're waiting for the second one, though, um, Joel, any any thoughts on Cameron Davis and then you, Spencer? I think Cameron Davis is, is an interesting pick here at 9,200. Um, he certainly has the upside of someone who can do well here. I do like him as a GPP player. I do think he's pretty volatile, so I wouldn't want to be overweight on him or play him in you know as many cash lineups. But for a GPP pick, I, I can get behind it. Yeah, I would say the volatility is what worries me just ever so slightly when it comes to the ownership that you're going to have to take on with him. And um, 
you know, I, I wrote this in an article this week. So, I mean, it's kind of like the same stance I've had the whole week. I think guys like Cameron Davis and some of these other players that are in the $9,000 range, especially if I am going aggressive with a Cantlay, Sungjae, Wise type build, I have to cut somebody. And as much as I don't want to cut Cameron Davis, he almost just naturally misses my player pool because I can't play every single golfer. And it's like one of those things where I like him. I understand why anybody would, or any, everybody would play him or anybody would play him. But with the way that I'm building it, I just don't know if I can like physically get to him and have a lineup that makes sense that I just don't have every chalk option on the board at the top. Well, I will mm-hmm. say, in defense of the audience, with Cantley Wise and him off the board. I think it's a perfectly acceptable yeah. pick based uh, off of that, <laughs> yes. That's right. Okay, we have the second nomination is in, uh, confirmed by um, everybody's on this. Brent, Ivan, Edward. Uh, again, thanks for watching. Hit the like button if you haven't already, by the way, everybody that's watching. We got some we got some new people in checking this out. So everybody that is in here, definitely hit the like button for us. And it's Emiliano Grillo, who Brent makes the point, and this has been true for quite some time now. He's learned how to putt, and he's a ball-striking machine. And I, to be honest with you, neither of those things were true about a year ago, about six, seven months ago, because he hadn't exactly learned how to putt yet, if we want to put it like that. And his ball striking was off. Like we know Grillo is a great ball striker, but last year for a majority of the year, his ball striking was off. Then he started to pick it up with the putter. Then he started to capture, recapture his ball striking form. So um, I don't really have a problem with this. I, I mean, obviously he did great. I had one of my biggest outrights in terms of bets uh, last week, really ever, was on Emiliano Grillo. And it was partly because I hadn't bet on him yet. And he had he had liked something that Byron Model Maniac had posted. And I was like, all right, that's just a sign. I'm just going to hammer this bet. And I like Grillo anyway. I was going to bet him anyway. Anyway, if he hadn't collapsed on a, on a par five on Sunday, you know, he might have been in the winner's circle. So um, I'm not necessarily chasing last week. I'm really just chasing Emiliano Grillo's profile, which has been very, very good for a good amount of time. I like this one. I love it. I think it's a. I think it's a solid pick. Um, you know, generally, I think ninety three hundred is a little steep for Grillo, but I do think he's playing well for all the reasons he said. I think there's a lot of reasons to get behind the pick. So uh, again, another one where I can see the circumstance where this pick makes sense. But for me, for this week, I just think the price is a little steep. I would speaking of generally agree go ahead. With that by the way, Joel, I think he's a better like, and I know this is a little contradictory. I almost feel like. Yes, he's a better putter now. I almost feel like he's just a better cash game play. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think the ownership is still up there. I'd rather just put him in cash. Like, we know recently he's been on fire, and uh, he's going to have to give you a top 10 finish. And as great as he's been, if we run through his results in, like, the last four tournaments, yes, the fifth last week, but, I mean, the last three tournaments before that were outside the top, you know, 18, if you want to look at it like that. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll be really clear. As much as I, I mean, you know, I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth here. I, I do like Grillo in general, and I think he's he's an okay pick here. He's probably not going to be in my player pool. And I'll, I'll point out, though, that my player pool is very narrow this week, and it's partly because I'm not investing a lot because there's not a lot of tournaments to play. So the few tournaments I am going to play, Grillo is not going to make the cut. So I just want to be very clear there, but I, I don't mind the play. Um, speaking of guys who are overpriced, Tom Hoagie at 9000 um, he might be featured at the end of this show uh, for first round leader or outright reasons. So we'll get to that uh, later on. But listen, this is a guy that can get really red hot. And, and I'm looking at more, especially during swing season, I'm looking at more long term term form. I'm going back almost as far as Spencer likes to go back or at least further than I ever go back. And, and you know, you start to see some things, profiles from people that really give you confidence. And Tom Hoagie, 
whether DK scoring or birdies or opportunities gained, he's in the top 10 in a lot of those categories, long-term form. And we know how hot he can get. Yeah, he can get really cold too, but I'm playing the volatility either way. You know, wh- whichever way the, the chip falls, I- I'm okay with it because I know how, how hot he can get. Oh, and by the way, he has good history here. So uh, I don't mind playing Tom Hoagie. I, I think he's probably... Not quite as chalky as some of those other 9K guys, I'm guessing. Again, I haven't looked at ownership yet, um, but I'm happy to kind of mix it up if he is chalky with some other players as I pick. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. And like, regardless of how we want to look at this, and and I'll even go back to like the audience's picks, because it's not that I don't like the two picks from the audience. They're at the biggest disadvantage this week of probably any week that we have done this contest. In my mind, there were the three big players. And then after that, you're kind of picking and choosing golfers that are all within the same range. And you're just finding who you like the most from there. Um, you know, whether it's a Tom Hoagie, a Grio, a Davis, whoever else we want to talk about, you know, later on in this show, you're going to have to pick and choose your spots. And I think that's where like some of the difference comes into play, but uh, it's a tough week once you don't start a lineup with those big three. So, you know, it's tough on the audience. I think Sia for you, it makes sense to try to fit in somebody like Hoagie with Sung Jay. Um, it's just like there's a lot of different routes that are that can be done here, but we're going to have to like maneuver each one of our ways through to try to figure out what's the best way to have it done. Let me make a quick point before, Spencer, before you make a, uh, a pick. And I'll just make it very quick because you mentioned pricing and you mentioned the top three guys. I think the pricing you could just kind of mix up if you wanted to after the first three guys. I think you can, you can make I an agree. argument that after Aaron Wise and maybe Tom Kim, if you want to extend it to five players. But when it starts at you know 9,500 at Taylor Montgomery, all the way down to, I don't know, let's say 8,500, 8,400, I think you could kind of mix a lot of those people up. So don't get caught up in using all of your cash this week. Don't get caught up in being like, I got to have a guy from this range or this range because the ranges are extremely arbitrary this week after you get past the first three guys, arguably after you get past the fourth or fifth guy. So definitely just do your best to kind of ignore pricing to a large degree. You don't have to be 49.9 or 50,000 in your lineup here. So um, anyway, Spencer, your pick. Well, I'm going to go with one of those guys that you just mentioned that we could make an argument that maybe he's a little bit overpriced that he could be lower on the board, but I'm going to ride the recent form that he has shown us. Uh, It's a UNLV product. It's a player that's from Las Vegas. He knows this course very well. Uh, If we're looking at $9,000 options in general, he looks to be one of the more outside of the box picks that you can make from the group because there does seem to be ownership going to other areas with it. And that is Taylor Montgomery at 9,500. Look, I mean, we don't exactly know what he is at this point. Like we're taking two tournaments where he's come in the top 10, but I really like what I've seen. And I've kind of been beating this drum for him for the last even from the first tournament that he played, like this is the better course fit for him of any of the courses that he's played. I actually think this is the venue that would make sense if he wins because some of that off the tee stuff that sometimes can give him problems, I don't think we're going to necessarily be as affected by here. Like he's 67th in my model through two tournaments off the tee. The approach numbers look really good. The putting has been spectacular for him. Um, You know, the around the green's going to have to be a little bit better than it's been, but I like Montgomery and I'm kind of just betting on the upside here. It's like the unknown uh, entity of what Tom Kim was. Now I understand we're paying a price here. That's unfortunately like saying that he is one of the elite players, but it's the same mindset that I had with Tom Kim that we don't really know what Montgomery is at this point. And if he is the Cameron Young of last year, or he is the, 
whatever player, the Scotty Scheffler from a couple years ago, all of a sudden we might be able to get a guy who does win early in his career. And I, I'm not exactly discounting that possibility for him this week. I think this is a good course setup for him. Mm-hmm. Now, Spence, what are you seeing for his ownership? I see 13.2%. So to put that into perspective, that would be um, the 11th highest owned player. And I mean, if we're looking at like the guy's $9,000 and up, pretty much every single guy in that range other than like Homa and like, you know, one or two others are all going to be above that. They're going to be top 10 type owned players. So you're kind of creating very slight leverage there based off of that. But it is enough leverage to where it's like, like if I'm looking at my build specifically, if the ownership percentages are at least correct in my eyes with it, you know, why is this 15% Montgomery's 13%. Well, now all of a sudden I've taken two guys at you know, about a 14% average in total where, you know, I didn't start with a Cantley and I didn't start with the Sungjae right at the top. So now I can take these flatter guys, even though they are popular. I kind of like pairing those two together. Like it's not such an insane uh, build in ownership. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, I start, I definitely like the pick as well. Uh, uh, for me on my move here, I'm going to have to take some, some value and, uh, obviously make this lineup work with Cantley at the top. So with my first pick, I'm going with the guy whose profile for me looks really good for this tournament. And that's Matthew Naismith. This is a guy who I normally don't like to play, but if we're one, if we're looking at course history at this course, Matthew Naismith has had. One of the better course histories that we're going to find, especially for someone this far down the board, uh, 18th, 8th, and 14th in the last three years. So that's three top 20s with a top 10, getting him at 7,500. And not only that, to balance it all off, he's also coming off a top 10 in his last tournament at the Sanderson Farms. He's a notoriously good ball striker. He's recently been making putts. There's just a lot of things to like about him this week. So uh, to val- get that value play there with him, with Canley, and then I want to pair him with another guy with, with kind of a similar profile here at 7,700. And that's Adam Hadwin, who has two top, a top six and a top fourth in his last three tries. He's made the court, his la- his, he made the cut the last four times he's played here with a T27, T4, T34, and T6. Um, his recent form is, is not great, but he's made a bunch of cuts. He's made the last five cuts at least, just not no really top 20. So I look for this to be a spot where he gets it together, gets hot, makes some putts and competes this week. Yeah, I liked Hadwin last week. And if I liked him last week, I theoretically should like him at this tournament. This is like, for all the reasons that you said, you have a sixth, you have a fourth here over the last uh, two of the last three times he's played it. Uh, Neesmith is the difficult one for me. And I'm curious to hear what Sia thinks. And it's not that I don't like him. I don't know what to do with him. My model doesn't necessarily care for him. But then it's one of those situations where how can I go against everything that I keep saying? I'd be, I would be the one talking out of both sides of my mouth there where, yeah, of course, history means everything. And then all of a sudden with Neesmith, it means nothing. Like at some point you have to believe what a player is telling you. And that's why I think it makes it so difficult when you do have rollover predictability with course history, because uh, a lot of that chalk that is going to go to Neesmith, I don't know if it's necessarily going to get burnt with it. Like I, I think he's been too good here for too long. And and I was talking to Nick Brettwish um, yesterday before like, I went on air to, to have a conversation about something. And he brought up a good point. If you look at Neesmith in particular here, he's a golfer that every single time he's played this tournament, he has entered this contest with about the worst form he's ever had in his career. I mean, we're talking like countless miscuts in a row 
And now this time he enters the tournament actually playing good golf. Like, what is the upside base off of that? Like, if he's giving you top 20s when he wasn't playing well, that's where I'm, like, conflicted on what I want to do because the numbers are telling me one thing, but the eye test of what he's actually performing is telling me another. But the thing is, he, he's been pretty bad, on, other than last week at the Sanderson Farms, he's been pretty bad on approach. And I'm willing to forgive that, even if he wasn't great at the Sanderson Farms. I, I think he's such a good course fit, and he has such good course history. And while the approach, the recent approach play kind of scares me, the fact that I did see some bounce back, uh, it leads me to believe that he's he's probably on the upswing, especially given his course history here. So I, I like the pick. I'm curious, though, because I, I would imagine he's slightly popular. Do we have an ownership on Matthew Naismith? He's very popular for his price tag. So he's 14.6%. Mm. That would be the eighth highest owned player. I like that's the one downside to me with it. Um, I mean, to go along with the reasons I said, but all those things kind of tie in together with it. But like I kind of keep saying, at some point, you, you kind of just have to trust what he has actually done here. Yeah, we have a rule with our Win Daily team. It's called Rule 17. And 17 has no application to anything. It's completely random. Uh, me and Patrick came up with it. But the rule es essentially says don't play 7K chalk. So that is just something to be aware of. It's usually like Harold Barner that everybody wants to play at 7,800. And he misses the cut by like seven strokes. So um, it's just something to think about. 7K chalk usually is something I, I, I generally like to stay away from. But I do like Matthew Naismith. And I got to admit, he is also going to be featured at the end of this show for a reason you can probably imagine, but you may as well wait and actually hear me say it. Um, Spencer, it's on you. All right. Before I give this pick, would either, and I'll give you a clue here without just asking a question and like making you guess out of uh, 150 players. Uh, of $8,000 or above golfers, who do you think is the best leverage play that I have in my model? And it's somebody oh, who has well not been taken yet. Well, okay, so I really hope I'm not right because it's the guy I'm going to take. So you have this guy locked in, so I don't feel bad guessing. Joel, you can go after me. I really hope you're not taking Alex Noren. It's Alex Noren. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. I, in, 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 <laughs> I, I, so I'm not surprised that you're picking him, to be honest with you. But I mentioned before any ownership came out, when I did the first cut on, on Monday early evening, I was like, Alex Noren seems like such an obvious tournament play because look at all those guys in the 9K that people want to play, like Tom Kim, Aaron Wise. Like, I get it. Those guys are really good. Even Tom Hoagie, people want to play him a little bit too. Everybody wants to play, like, get a piece of this 9K action other than Alex Noren. I absolutely love this play for tournaments. I I'm going to go a step further. I also like the play for cash. I think he's just playable across the entire board now. The best way to use him is going to be in GPP builds. He's 3.7% owned right now for every reason that Sia just said. Every other $9,000 golfer has ownership attached to their name other than Alex Noren. And I know that like everybody wants to look at the first thing you think of with Alex Noren. He's good on difficult courses, open championships, uh, European style venues where it's going to be a little bit more difficult win play. We don't necessarily have that here. Here's the interesting thing that drew me to Alex Noren. When I removed every single tournament from my model, and I mean legitimately every single tournament, that wasn't one of the most, the biggest birdie shootouts that you could find. So this would be venues that are going to be 20 under par to win the, the tournament. He ranks sixth in my model 
from that. So that's sixth in strokes gain total on easy courses. And that's the easiest of courses you can find. He's third in strokes gain total on TPC. We know he's a great putter. When I took my mix of bent grass putting plus a complete encapsulation of bent grass, uh, he's eighth for me there. He's good on the par threes. He scores well enough on the other ranges. I know I said Alex, uh, I know I said Aaron Wise is going to win this tournament. My favorite play on the board when we take ownership into account would be Alex Norn at 3.7%. I think he's going to have a big finish here. And I wouldn't be shocked that if for whatever reason, Wise does not win this event, that Alex Norn kind of shocks people and wins on American soil and, and takes down this tournament. Yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me. And it, it, even if he doesn't, like these are the types of plays that are going to win you a tournament. This is a this is a high value target in the sense that he has some win equity. He certainly has top five equity and nobody's playing him because he's not in our consciousness right now. I don't know if you mentioned, but uh, Spencer, did you mention that the Alfred Dunhill, which I think was that last week, he finished, I think, tied for second, right? I didn't mention that, but it's like, I, I think he's a player that when you look at him, just like, like if everything that he does, it, it's more fitting here than people want to believe it is. Mm -hmm. And- and, you know, that's the other thing. If we want to talk about short games and we want to talk about guys that can scramble around the green, that's Alex Noren. Like, it's almost a really simple European-style course where it's just hit the ball up there and then have your short game scramble and save you. I mean, you're, you're scrambling in a different way in that sense, but you're still mm -hmm. scrambling for birdie rather than, like, scrambling to save par. And I think Noren's going to be really good at that sort of a prototype game that's being asked. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind that at all. So now you're forcing me to take a guy that I really don't want to take. I never take this guy, but I do think he's a good course fit. I do think he's kind of sneaky. I can't imagine he's he's above 10%, but he's not going to give me the leverage that Alex Noren's going to give. Uh, pretty good course history other than a miscut in 2022. He's got two top 20s. He's another guy that's not really in our consciousness. We just don't really think about him in terms of a guy who can win a tournament. And honestly, I'm sort of questioning the pick myself, but I, think I kind I know of want to yeah, you probably do. I'm going to let you guess. Um, I kind of want to build my lineup in, in a particular way. So I am, and it's mostly avoiding some of the 9K chalk, even though I just dipped in there with Tom Hoagie. But you want to guess who it is? Uh, Brian Harmon. That's right. I love the pick. I, like if, it, if my pick wasn't awesome. going to be Alex Noren, it would be Brian Harmon. I think that those are probably the two best value plays that you're looking for. Like once you dip into that, let's call it like 8,500 to... 9100 zone those are the two guys that i'm going to lean on over where all the chalk is going with it i love it awesome all right we have we do have uh one nomination in already but we need nominations from the audience we have um one kurt kiriyama jack oh thanks for jack thanks for joining us i don't think you were in here earlier hit the like button if you can uh we got a seamus power nomination from ivan kurt kiriyama he's it First of all, Spencer, you're wearing a UNLV jersey, right? Can you show everybody? Yeah. For the for the few of you that don't know, uh, Spencer lives in in Las Vegas, and there's a lot of Las Vegas ties here. If you want to play that hometown narrative, and uh, is Kurt Kiriyama one of them? Is he a resident? Uh, he went to UNLV. Oh, okay, fair enough, close enough. All right, all right, we got uh, plenty of nominations. We're going to need seconds for some of these guys, though. Jack, Ivan, Edward. Uh, any support for each other here on any of these plays? Well, be as we're waiting for that answer, would either of you guys like to guess who the UNLV player is that I have on with the jersey? Hmm. Oh, was there a number on it by any chance? There is a number on it. It'll give it away. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it would probably give it away if you like 
are aware of. Uh, I'm already giving away too much information, basically. <laughs> I, I'll, t I'll tell you, I'll let you guess. I mean, I'm walking you down a line to guess somebody that's not the right answer with it, but I. Uh, well, you're, you're leading us to Larry Johnson, I feel like. Exactly. But that's, not, that's, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Okay, so I'm gonna go. Oh, do you? Uh, I one of my favorite players from, or my favorite player from that team, Joel. Do you want to guess before I guess? Uh, you can guess first. Stacy Ogman, Plastic Man. It's not Stacy Ogman. Damn it! All right. Uh, and that, that was who I was gonna guess. I should have taken that. Um, I don't really remember other than Greg Anthony. Who I don't. Is it Greg Anthony? I don't think it's, it's Greg, Greg Anthony. Anthony. Oh, no, no way! way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Num so number he, fifty, Greg Anthony. For the record, uh, he lives like 20 miles north of me. Um, he he, uh, I haven't met him, but anyway, I don't know why I just said that. It's just like a classic name drop that has no yeah, his, value. His but... kid plays for Orlando. He's good. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. So we have um, Kurt Kitayama, and I'm trying to get through the the trash in the chat. Uh, LJ <laughs> Cunningham. All right. You so we'll talk about Kurt. UNLV and the chat just goes wild. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, scandalous. Um, okay. So Kirk Kitayama is one of the picks and you guys need to do another nomination. I mean, we have nominations. We need a second on either Seamus power or Ricky Fowler. Um, any thoughts on Kirk Kitayama? I, he feels like he's going to be pretty popular. I think I'm off him this week. Um, Spencer, any thoughts there? Uh, he's going to be very popular. I don't know if this is, I mean, this is a good, this is a good reason to take him that I'm going to mention. I don't think I'm going to play him in any capacity, but I did notice uh, sharper markets absolutely love Kitayama this week. Hmm. Um, probably not going to get on him, but if you do like him, that's at least noteworthy that he, all the head to head matchups, the movements moving in his way in an outright sense, I think he's like sub 50 to one at some of these like more credible books now. So you know, that, that means something to me. It's like, I'm more inclined to at least be like, Oh, what am I maybe missing here? And it's mm -hmm. not that, I mean, he's 48th for me overall. He's 40th for safety. It's not like my model hates him by any means, but he's not somebody that I'm necessarily rushing to play either. Okay. Before we get to my pick, Oh, Ricky Fowler is the next one in by the audience. Um, thank you, Ivan, for confirming that. Um, before we get to my pick, uh, give me maybe one or two other names that are getting some sharp action that maybe is, is a little unexpected. Let me scroll through some names and I can give you, well, like from an outright sense, Keith Mitchell has gotten a lot of buzz on him. I've seen that number move drastically. Um, I saw Mito Pereira moving. That was somebody I considered from an outright sense that I did not get to. That's my um, pick, by the way, just, just to be clear, like that's who I'm taking next, Mito Pereira at uh, 7,800. Um, and I'll just say just real quick, I mean, just... Uh, again, I'm looking at long-term long-term form. I think he he's a guy that we've just sort of forgotten about, but the talent yeah. is there. Uh, he gains opportunities at a silly rate. His ball striking can be electric. Uh, I, I'm all aboard the the Mito train this week. Um, but Spencer, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's fine. I mean, like, there's not a ton of players. There's not as many players this week that I've seen massive movements on. Like, Wise is taking on money. We've seen him move from 25 to like 18 to 20 to one. I mean, but that's more of the top of the board. Alex Noren has been kind of sharp also. Um, like if we look specifically with Noren, he's like minus 160 against Taylor Pendrith. And uh, he's a favorite against uh, Taylor Montgomery also. I think he's like minus 150 against Montgomery. And, wow. you know, those are two players that are at least a little bit more popular. So I think that goes to show that Noren is a good course fit here. Um, you know, Harmon is taking on a little bit of buzz also. Um but not as many this week. It's a, a much smaller crop of golfers. I think part of the problem is 
a lot of the win equity is going to Cantley and Sungjae, mm -hmm. and people aren't trying to like avoid the market in general. Right, and we've noticed uh, at least in the last six, maybe twelve months, that the top of the board is really cashing in. Not the very top necessarily, but the top of the board, the shorter odds are cashing in from an outright standpoint more than they ever have. So something to consider when you're making your lineups. Uh, Spencer, where are you at with your fourth pick? This is it's a tough decision. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do based off of what Joel is going to do. Here. And I, I put myself in a bit of a pickle where, I mean, C is in the same exact spot too. I kind of have to worry about him coming back on the next pick here where uh, we all could be in the same range here of players that we're looking for. And I know we said that we're going to try to avoid, or one of our plans is to try to avoid that low $7,000 chalk. I think with a lineup that in particular has Norin, does have a little bit of leverage that can be created on Wise and Montgomery, I feel more comfortable going this route than I normally would. I'm going to take Andrew Putnam at 7300 uh, he is popular. I'm looking at about 10.3%. My model does not have leverage that I can uh, attain based off of that. And I'll throw out another player now, now that I'm not going to take him, that is experiencing some sharp action. That would be Matt Kuchar. I uh, mm. just throw that out there for anybody. If maybe they're like wondering about taking him. Uh, Kuchar is a guy where the 10 of 12 made cuts in the last 12 tournaments. The form seems to be turning around, but I really like what Putnam has done. He has two top 18s here in the past three years. When we look at the current form that he's bringing to the table, everything in the last six tournaments has been inside the top 43. Uh, the off the tee game is going to have to be a lot better. But as I keep saying, and as Joel brought up earlier in the show, if we believe that in any sense of the word that off the tee, you can negate some of it and it can be taken away and it's not quite as important. I'm not necessarily going to be as freaked out by him ranking 111th in my model there. And we know the course history has been good. So you can kind of agree that he at least seems to think that it suits his eyes. So I'm going to eat the chalk there. There's other routes I could have gone. Um, there's a lot of, for the record, there's a lot of routes I could have gone, but Andrew Putnam, I think at 10.3% uh, percent is still fine in my eyes. All right. I like it. Joel, you got back-to-back -back picks now. Where are we going? So I know who I want with my last pick. I don't think anyone else can afford them, so I'm going to wait and take them later. So the two guys, there's three guys I want at the same price that I'm kind of deciding between. Um, and they're all in the 6,900 range. So the oh, first wow. one I'm pretty locked in on, and that's going to be Bo Hossler. At 6,900, hmm. Bo Hossler does have a good history here. He's coming off a pretty good result. I mean, his last tournament was the Fortinet. He gained a lot of strokes in approach, has been pretty bad off the tee, which to me is fine, right? Because I think he can survive those off the tee woes this week. Um, and if he, the rest of his game comes around like we think it will, he does have a good course history in his last, in his four tries here, he's made the cut all four times. Four years ago, he has a tied for seventh. Uh, the rest are top 30, last time out T34. So he's had good results. I think this is a spot where he can come up and smash. Um, I'm only going to take one of them. So I'll be honest, the other two I'm deciding between for this spot are, um, is that going to ruin the draft if I tell you? Nah, it'll be fine. So it's between Matt Wallace and Chesson Hadley. Uh, both guys okay. $6,900 range. Both guys, I think, are good values. Both guys, at least Matt Wallace has one good history here. Hadley has a pretty good history overall. I mean, you know, you know, the first guy I was leaning toward, I'm going to stick with him with Matt Wallace here. I, I like the way Matt Wallace's games is coming around. I think he's on the he's on an upswing. He's been playing well. So I'm going to ride some of that momentum here into this week's tournament. 
Yeah, I'll I'll be taking Chesed, by the way, if Spencer doesn't. Like yeah, that's yeah. I mean because of my salary, like that is, is squarely where my eyes were, just so you know. I want to just mention Bo Hostler before I give a pick. So um I've been writing articles for I guess about five years now. And when was let me look and when the hostler thing was because I mean there was almost every single year. It would probably be in 2017, I guess. Um I picked Hostler to win the tournament, like as my actual pick to win. He came in seventh. I picked him in 2018. I picked him in 2019. I have not picked them in the last two go arounds. And we have just gotten a completely different version of Bo Hostler uh, these last couple of years. I think this is a sneaky spot for him where this is a really good course fit. And it was kind of like the one thing I always used to write. Bo Hostler is going to win this tournament at some point in his career. And it probably, if I actually believe that should be betting him every single time that this tournament is played, but uh, I like the selection, like my model, if you're modeling it out, it's not going to grade the way that you want, but from like what I have seen and what I know about his game. And when you put him on the West coast, which is where he always seems to have his best success. I think Hostler is an upside play that can compete and can give you a top 10, maybe beyond that. Yeah. Sneaky. I like it. Uh, All right. Spencer, so go ahead. So I will move us into the next pick. I mean, my hands are tied of wh what I can do here and, it's the common joke that I make every single time that Jason Day's in a tournament. I find myself in the spot where I can afford him at the very end. And it just depends on if I want to do it or not. I'm not going to do it this week. I do think from a leverage perspective, it's a kind of a unique way to go with it. But I'm going to go with Troy Merritt at 7,300. Um, a couple things about Merritt. So I have a top 40 on him at plus 175. That's one of my favorite values that's on the board. Like I have him in that same range as Matt Kuchar from like what my model believes he is. Matt Kuchar is plus 120 to come inside the top 40. Uh, Merritt is plus 175. You can get Merritt for cheaper. I think both of them are great plays. That is going to be a bet that like if you can still find it, I think that's something that's worth considering. But uh, the way to tee the green numbers take a jump for me. The bent grass putting looks great. He's good on TPC courses. He's 12th in my model on easy scoring courses. Uh, I would not be shocked if he gives you a top 20 here. And it's only at 4.9% ownership. So you are creating leverage still based off of that answer. No issue there. I think that's a great pick. Um, I will go with uh, Justin Hadley, 6,900. <laughs> Um, you know, this is a guy that that I'm on quite a bit. Uh, he burned me last week. I think he's coming off a missed cut, right? I think he missed the cut he last did. week. But, you know, generally when he pops, he really pops. Like when he pops, you see him on Sunday afternoon and he's, you know, top 20 or top 15, top 10. And that's usually because he can pop on approach and he can pop with the putter. So I'm just looking to get that combination with a $6,900 golfer. And he's a guy that I've I've seen it from before and in this field. I actually like watching Chesson too because he shows like a lot of emotion, uh, particularly when he's doing well. Um, that has nothing to do with my pick, but I'm just saying like he's a good watch and I'm hoping I can watch him on Sunday because he is going to be on the few teams that I'm going to make this week. Uh, or at least he's going to be on some of them. So give me Chesson at 6,900. Yeah, I, I watched Chesson Hadley pretty closely last week because I had a Thursday head-to-head -head against Henrik Norlander where I took Hadley. He looked good in round one, and I won that matchup. And, you know, I don't know what happened to him on Friday to where he just didn't continue what he was putting together, but Hadley's a streaky player. Like, I wouldn't discount him from one round of bad golf that he's had. 
And the course history is really good here. Like he's one of those players that has rolled it over consistently at this course. Mm -hmm. All right. So the audience has already selected their, their fifth and second to last golfer. And it is the popular talented uh, Taylor Pendrith, uh, a guy I think we're going to hear from perhaps a little bit at the very end of the show when we're doing our outrights and our first round leaders. Uh, I'm curious what you all think of him. I, I, I can kind of go, but I can make an argument for him because I think he has elite talent and I think he's the type of guy that could not easily win this tournament, but like we would net, none of us would be surprised if he was in the top five come Sunday. I don't know that he's the best course fit, but I do know when the ball striking is on, like this guy is, is awesome. Um, Joel, is he in your pool at all? You know, he might make my pool toward the bottom. The reason isn't because I don't like him. It's just because I think what Spencer was saying earlier, there's just so much more value to me in those other top guys. And it's just hard to get to him at 8,700 where I think, you know, a lot of my builds are going to honestly look similar to the one I made today, where it's kind of two elite guys and then more value. And, you know, it's going to be hard to fit him in. But if you want to be different and you're not going to build a lineup like that, then I, I can see why Pendrith would be a good pick. Yeah, it kind of just goes back to the answer that I gave with Cameron Davis. It's just there's only so many players that you can play. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it on both sides of the equation here of more expensive and less expensive. I like Pendrith. He's seventh in my model. Like, I understand the play. I think that, like, based off of your roster construction, you certainly can consider him. But I'd rather play Taylor Montgomery and go overweight there. I'd rather play Alex Noren. Uh, I'd rather play Brian Harmon. If you want to drop down a little bit, I'd rather go back to JT Poston. I think Poston is getting completely overlooked from what he did last week. Like, I think he's still playing fine golf. I think last week was a little bit of an aberrational round that he put together on Thursday. Maverick McNeely from a birdie-making standpoint at 8,100. Nobody's really talking about him. I know the course history hasn't been great here. And I know the current form is exactly where you want it. But these are players to me that just have less ownership and in my eyes, as much upside, I guess. So it's almost like victim by just being a, a player that I can't physically put into the lineup, even though in a normal situation, if I built things differently, I would have no problem playing him. You're on mute, Sia. My fault. The last pick is in. I'd really like your opinion on, and I might be pronouncing this name wrong. Is it Justin Lower or Justin Lauer? Anyone? I think it's Lauer, but. Um... Okay. Well, that's the pick. 7,100 Justin Lauer. He, you know, he gets a lot of steam. I'm not from the markets necessarily, but from the DFS community, at least as of late, people are talking about him. He's not a guy I've ever been on. And, you know, Spencer, any thoughts on Justin? Because I, 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 I don't, I got nothing for you. I, I kind of do have a couple takes on him. So like if we're looking directly in the situation that the audience was in right now, they had 7,500, you know, you technically can take anybody from 7,500 down to 6,000 based off of that. To me, the value plays that were the most enticing to consider would have been Wyndham Clark. You can mute me in the back end of this. Jason Day, Martin Laird, Robbie Shelton, Justin Lauer. Like, I think he fits that exact kind of a build that you're looking where you're trying to figure out how you want to round out a lineup. You don't exactly know how you want to do it with your player builds that you have left. He ranks 19th for me from a safety perspective. He's 38th overall. Uh, the current form looks really good. Like at 7,100, if you can just tell me that he's going to make a cut and he's going to provide a top 40, which is what he's doing every single week. Like, I don't mind taking a shot at him at 5% and saying, well, let's hope this is the week that he provides a top 20 for you because 
the numbers are good enough and the results have been sporadically doing that here and there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty interesting play. I can't imagine his ownership is going to be very high at all. I'll go to my last pick. I, you know, I'm going to take a guy that I've never actually drafted before. I've never put him on any of my DraftKings teams, period. And I know I said, you know, you don't have to use all your salary, but, but I, I do like the upside of this guy. He's excelled on the corn Ferry tour. And then he had some, some issues, uh, as of late, uh, you know, like this, this last year, but Davis Thompson seems to have some pretty solid upside at 7,000. Um, we know what he did, we did in, the, in his last two tournaments, his last two PGA tournaments, which were, you know, the last two we had. He made the cut in both and he had a top 10 in one of them. And, or maybe he, did he, he might have missed the cut in one or he finished, he, he finished tied for 67th at the Sanderson Farms, tied for ninth at the uh, Fortinet. But the ball striking was great. It was the putter. He almost lost four strokes at the Sanderson uh, with the putter. But conversely, at the Fortinet, he gained three and a half strokes. So, uh, you know, if he's an even putter with this ball striking at 7,000 in this field, um, I like where this could end up for Davis Thompson. So that's going to be my final pick. Yeah. When I take his baseline number in putting, which this is through a very small sample size in general, he improves on bent grass greens and it's not at a percentage that is like so astronomical to where he becomes a different player. But I think when you're looking for good ball strikers, you're always trying to find, is there any reason to believe that they can be a neutral putter on this course? Mm -hmm. And my model seems to believe that, yeah, while the recent form has not been great with the putter, he's 122nd in putting over his last 24 rounds. The bent grass increase that he does receive on my sheet is noteworthy enough to where, I mean, at $7,000, I think he's in play for a top 30 in this tournament. Yeah, and in, for the record, just when we go to the last 24 rounds, that, those are PGA Tour rounds, right? Yes, they are. Because a lot of that does date back to the, the beginning of 2022 sure, because he was on sure. the Corn Ferry Tour in the middle of that. So, I mean, just saying, like, I mean, to your point, he lost over three strokes at, let's see, the Arnold Palmer and at the RSM Classic. Um, so, I mean, there's something to be said for that. Like, he hasn't been good on the PGA Tour. But, yeah, I think an even putter is in play here. And I think, you know, he proved he can gain strokes with the putter at the Fortinet. So, um, yeah, I like the upside there. Uh, Spencer, your last pick. Yeah. And it's just, it's limited sample size is really what it comes down to. You never want to take limited sample size and then like extract that to be an absolute, like that's kind of the point that we're making here. Like anytime you take limited sample size, just be aware that it can turn very quickly. And what you thought was a bad putter all of a sudden becomes much better. But, uh, for my final pick, it comes down to, I, I guess, one of two guys for me. Um, I would have considered Bo Hostler. He would have been one of the guys in the mix. And uh, the three players for me at 6,900 that I'm kind of looking to round out a player pool with would be Michael Gligich, Brendan Todd, Bo Hostler. So with Hostler off the board, um, my upside model likes Brendan Todd. He also is less ownership, but... I guess I'll go with Michael Gligich and just try to take a little bit of safety here. So 27th at this tournament in 2020, a 45th at the Sanderson Farms. Like the recent form has not been ideal for him, but if we date it from the 3M Open and go back a little bit, uh, 16th at the 3M Open, uh, 21st uh, in, I guess that would probably be the Barbasol. I have the Scottish Open Barbasol. I don't think he was in the Scottish Open. So the Barbasol, uh, 10th in the John Deere I don't know. I mean, like there's only so many ways that I can round out this build. He's a good bent grass putter. He's good on TPC tracks. 
the par four scoring looks good. He's ninth in my model when I look at the short par fours and par five birdie or better percentage. Like when you drop to this range, you're always just trying to hone in on one or two qualities that you're like, oh, he's good on short par fours. Oh, he's good at bar, par five birdie or better percentage. Maybe at $6,900, my model seems to think he can make a run. So uh, I'm going to take Michael Gligich, 6,900 as my last pick. I like it. Joel, your final pick. I like, yeah, I think the 6,900, 7,000, 7,100, that range has some some solid value here. I think so, similar to the sentiment Spencer was saying earlier, um, you know, I think a lot of these guys are just as good as some of those guys and, you know, $1,000 more. So if you want to do your stars and scrubs, I think it makes a lot of sense this week. For me, I'm rounding off the, my roster with, uh, obviously, there's only one guy left for me to take here. It's Tom Kim. Um you know, Tom Kim, Potter failed him uh, on his last tournament. Other than that, his ball striking has been elite, as elite as it gets. Um, you know, if he finds that this week and sinks a few putts, I think he fin very well win this tournament just as much as some of the other guys that we listed. So there's a ton of upside here with him. And I was definitely drafting intentionally to get two, you know, one one of the elite other guys with Cantlay to get the rest of my run at balance. Because I think, like we were just saying, you can be balanced um, I don't, I think there's a smaller gap between these guys in the low sevens and an eight range. So that's how I wanted my roster construction to look. Yeah. I, you can't say anything bad about the pick. It's the last guy on the board, unless you want to drop down and leave a bunch of money on the table, <laughs> which is a doable option, but I don't think it makes logical sense to not take Tom Kim when he is an option that's still available. For sure. Uh, he certainly, as we saw, he certainly has a lot of upside. If he fi- if he gets hot, you know, he's certainly an option to win this tournament. For sure. As well. So uh, that's the draft. Guys, don't forget to hit the like button. Give us a follow. And, and we're going to post these rosters. Let us know who you think is going to win. Predict the winner. We're going to come back and we're going to pat somebody on the back for being right. So it's going to be me. Well, you know, I know Celia thinks he's a... Uh, was it in sync? You know, it's gonna say it's gonna be not. That's what I was going. <laughs> We're best friends. <laughs> uh, but we're not going out. So before we leave the draft, we're gonna go through quickly. Who are we surprised did not get drafted? Uh, we'll start with you, Spence. Let me bring up the ownership percentage really quickly, and um... and we definitely drafted the top of the board. I'll tell you who I'm surprised did not get drafted. At least I don't think he got drafted. Mark Hubbard at 7,400. I would have thought somebody would have taken him and um, anybody that would have, I think it would have been a good pick. It's just like, I reached a spot where for whatever reason with my roster construction, I just didn't get to him. And I mean, there's really no reason for that. He's a top 10 player in my model and uh, he's another sharp mover. I'll throw him out there also. I've seen money coming in on him. Um. Yeah, I agree. I, and I, I also see he's, he looks like he's popular this week. I've seen a lot of people talking about him. So uh, I think that's a good call. You know, I, I'm not surprised this guy wasn't drafted, but I just want to mention I was going to take him and had my lineup gone a different direction. He's super cheap, one of my favorite value plays on the board, and that is Robert Streb. Um, he's only 6,200 this week. So if you really need to dip down low, um, that's the way to go. The reason I like him because he does have a really good course history. I mean, in his last five outings, T10, 36, cut, T4, T27. So this is a guy who's done well here at 6,200. And his recent form is, you know, decent. I mean, he didn't make any putts at the Sanderson Farms, but his ball striking was he gained almost two strokes ball striking. So someone that, that you know, could have some potential. 
Strep can get hot, man. And this, I feel like, I don't know this for a fact. I think the swing season, and it makes sense, right, is where he kind of shines. And all of a sudden, like, you'll see him on a, on a Saturday and Sunday, like, actually contending. At 6,200, I, I know it's not only me, but I know Sicily Kid, who was out this week, Steven, uh, he's a big Robert Streb guy. He's, he's often like the, the frisky, risky biscuit or, or whatever he calls it, that thing that is just like dominating uh, in Wind Daily Sports. So uh, speaking of Wind Daily Sports, uh, hopefully you're subscribed. You got to make sure you check out the NFL content as well, as well as everything else. But Sticks, Picks, Ghost, all these guys are in there. Um, the NFL content is like so premium if you didn't watch the the live youtube show you would have been in our discord to know that or you would have read six picks article to know that he was stacking justin herbert with austin eckler last week and a lot of people you know including myself were doing lamar jackson you know to maybe bateman or andrews or they were doing josh allen to to stefan Diggs. i ended up getting on justin herbert a little bit but there were a lot of stacks that were really popular that just kind of failed you the weather was a problem you know uh for a lot of these games uh, Jalen Hurts wasn't great. Uh, so uh, credit to Sticks Picks, credit to the Wind Daily Sports um, NFL team, because they are just pumping out content like you wouldn't believe. And it's always, always really good. So, um, all right, should we get to the outrights? Let's do it. We, we have outrights and first round leaders before we wrap up tonight. Uh, before we dive in, I'm going to pull this draft board down uh, and we'll start in the outright market. Spence, who are you looking at there? I took Aaron Wise when the week started at 25 to 1. Alex Noren, 50 to 1. JT Post, and I'm going back to him at 65 to 1. And we want to talk about a player that I guess I'm also a little bit surprised didn't get taken. KH Lee, 70 to 1. TPC Lee. Uh, Keith Mitchell, 70 to 1. Mark Hubbard, 90 to 1. And then Andrew Putnam, 95 to 1. Hey, uh, I have I have a confession to make here uh, because Spencer mentioned TPC Lee and I, I heard Rick Gaiman's show. Uh, I'm sure most of you who are watching listen to to Rick or watch Rick on uh, 300 Yards to Unknown. He does like a, I think a three o'clock Eastern Standard Time show just talking about the golf tournament, weather, ownership, all that stuff. So he gave me credit for inventing the, on the show today, um, for inventing the TPC Lee moniker. So it's very controversial, right? Because I know Nick Brettwish authored TPC Lee. I don't know when it was, but I, to be honest with you, when I, when I came up with that I, in my head, I, I was thinking I, I was coming up with it. This is like a year ago. I noticed like that very same day that PGA Tout mentioned TPC Lee in his, in his write-up. And so then I was like, and then I heard Spencer say that Nick invented TPC Lee, which very well could be true. So anyway, my point is, I don't know if it was PGA Tout. I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. Uh, it might've been Nick. And so I am... I am I am out of the running for inventing the TPC Lee name. It's in my opinion, it was either Nick or it was PGA Tout. Credit where credit is due. I don't think I thought I thought of it myself, but I think somebody beat me to it, and it was one of those two guys. Any thoughts? It was very I, admirable to step to I, the side. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I heard it today, and I'm like, God, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure somebody else came up with that before me, so I don't want to take credit for something he, that might not be mine. Here's the only reason. Why I feel like it was Nick and I, I didn't see it it's from big controversy. Thing. Here's my reasoning. When Nick originally said it on better golf, when we were doing the show together, like I, my model didn't even agree that T, uh, KH Lee <laughs> was good on TPC courses. Like I remember him telling me, Oh, uh, this KH Lee, like he's TPC Lee. Like he's great on TPC properties. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, where did you come <laughs> up with this information? And he was right. Like, I don't know how he was so ahead of the curve on that. 
And then I just keep seeing it over and over and over again to where every single time KH Lee performs on one of these courses, like he does really well. So uh, my vote is going to always go with my partner, but I do believe it was probably Nick. Yeah, and, and so does David. David, thanks for joining us. Uh, you had a question about um, whether we're doing this show on Wednesdays. Yeah, in, indefinitely, we're doing it Wednesdays. Hopefully, you can join us. Joel, you had a comment you were going to make. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it was Nick because I remember him when he first said it. I listened to that show, and it stuck. And now like, yeah. I, like I for some reason, have to play him at TPC courses all the time because I just hear Nick's voice in my head saying, TPC Lee, and I got to play him. So I was saying it on the first cut a lot, but I never actually claimed I invented or anything. But because I was saying it so much, I think people were like, oh, like maybe he maybe he's the guy that like started that. But like, no, I would just I just kept saying it anyway. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I never heard Nick say it. But anyway, just want to put that out there. Not the inventor of that name, I don't think. Um, all right. So are we going to my outrights? Go to outrights. See what you got. My outright card is kind of garbage because I didn't want to take a shorter guy. And I think the shorter guys are probably going to win this thing. It's my first round leader card that I, I think I'm proud of. I think we, we got some, some um, meat on the bone, if you will. But I'll give you my outright card. It's got four guys on it, two reasonably long shot guys and two very long shot guys. It's Tom Hoagie at 50 to one. When he's hot, he's hot. Mita Pereira at 50 to one. When he's hot, he's hot. Chesson Hadley at 130 to one. I mean, I've seen him contend before. If he was ever going to contend, it would be in this field on this track. Uh, and Kevin Streelman at 130 to one. I just think he's a good course fit. And I just think we've all kind of forgotten what Kevin Streelman can do. And I think uh, at 130 to one, I'm willing to speculate a sprinkle, a couple bucks on Kevin Streelman. I like it. I like it. For this tournament, I think the sweet spot here is that 130 to one number. I think there's a few guys in that range that could be interesting. Uh, I have two others that aren't the same ones that you picked. Uh, Words me, that have never been spoken. The sweet spot is 130 <laughs> to one. That's what you come to this show for. Folks. Exactly. Anyways, exactly. Um, no, but for me, it's, it's two guys I'm looking at. Actually, three in the 130 to one range. It's Matt Wallace, who I drafted. I've already spoke about a lot of reasons why I like him this week. Uh, Steven Yeager, also 130 to one. And I like Callum Tarum. I think Callum Tarum is a little bit underrated. And this is the guy who is a good golfer. Uh, hasn't been playing that long over here, but I think he's going to shoot up these uh, price boards and, and pricings as the course of the year goes up. I like him a lot. In the more lower odds range, uh, I think there is some value on Tom Kim as well at 22. Yeah, I think Tom Kim is a cyborg. I'm not sure, I'm not even sure he's human. He's like robotic, and he <laughs> absolutely could run away with this tournament, 100%. I love it. I love it. All right. We're almost done. Before we let you go, we are going to give you our first round leader. Spence, can you kick us off? Are you looking at the first round leader market? I like my first round leader card also. I, you know, I don't really ever make these like assertive type comments. Um, I think I'm going to hit a first round leader this week. Whoa. So wow. I, I started with Mito Pereira, 70 to one. Keith Mitchell, 70 to one. Brendan Todd, a hundred to one JT Poston, 65 to one Chris Kirk, 80 to one Brian Harmon, 60 to one. And then I would be remiss if I did not put in the golfer that I think is going to win this tournament. Aaron wise, 40 to one. I love it. I love it. Uh, for me, I just have a few. Uh, I really like my favorite first round leader play is Kirk Kitayama at 70 to one. I think it's a really good number. He is a guy that tends to pop, on first rounds. I also really like JT Poston at 65 to one and Siwoo Kim at 65 to one at well, 
is we're getting some pretty good numbers on guys that I think talent is there for, for a one-rounder. But let me put a few shekels on those. We're putting the whole mortgage on what Sia gives us right now. Borrow money from your family members. It's good as tripled, if not quadrupled. If not, I don't even know what the number is for like 15 times, but that's what it's going to be. So Sia, enlighten us. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Uh, by the way, I, I got to say, KH Lee is not one of my picks, TPC Lee, but honorary Nick Brettwish, PGA DraftCast pick that he has not given us, but I know he endorses, is TPC Lee at 65 to 1. It's not one of my plays, but I'm going to play it. And you should play it too. All right. Uh, my first round leader card starts with the robot, the tank, Thomas the tank, the cyborg. He's not human. He's 40 to 1, Tom Kim. That's, that's going to be number one. By the way, all these guys I'm mentioning are going to be AMT times with the exception of one, which I'll get to in a second. Taylor Pendrith, 60 to 1. This is a guy that I actually don't think is going to win the tournament. I don't think he can win the tournament. And I say that, you know, kind of with a grain of salt. Anybody can win, obviously. But I really trust Taylor Pendrith for a round way more. And that's that's a lot of these first-round leaders, right? We're taking longer odds because we trust them more for 18 holes rather than 72 or 36 for that matter. Um, so Taylor Pendrith at 60 to 1. Mito Pereira, 75 to 1. I just love that one. Uh, Matthew Naismith at 75 to 1. That's the one that's in the afternoon. I don't think it's going to be a, a big problem for the afternoon guys, but the AMT times at this tournament and at all tournaments tend to be the, the better scoring. Tend to be, not always, obviously. So Matthew Naves, Smith, uh, 75 to 1. And Adam Svensson, 100 to 1. When the ball striking is there, and we've seen the putter be okay with Adam Svensson, uh, I think 100 to 1 is, is a pretty good number there. I had considered in this triple-digit range, I had considered John Hunt at 125 to one, but I just never got there. And by the way, because you mentioned Callum Tarrant, I did want to mention a couple guys that I thought I was a little surprised they didn't get, get drafted. Thomas Dietrich, who's been pretty good. Yes. And uh, when you mentioned Siwoo Kim, I, I just, if it, it occurred to me that he didn't get drafted either. And I think he is an interesting DFS play. So those are two guys that I'm, I'm kind of surprised that didn't get drafted, but uh, the guy who's going to win it all, this is what we need to put, pull our money together, um, pay pallet to, to like, Somebody, maybe me, PayPal it to me, Venmo it to me. I'll hold it in escrow. And um, by escrow, I mean, I will put it on this guy who is 60 to one. So whatever you PayPal or Venmo me, you are going to get 59 to one on your investment because I'm going to keep one part of that because I'm, you know, I have to do all these transactions and fill out tax forms and all that stuff. So the point is, if you want 59 times your money, you're going to bet the man, the myth, the legend, well, he will be after Thursday, Tom Hoagie. Let's hit that easy button. That was easy. 60 to 1. You're welcome, America. That's it. I mean, it's really that simple. You get you, you have X amount of dollars now. You make the bet. You have 60 times that many dollars mm -hmm. on Thursday night. So – pretty easy um i wouldn't have any money in my bank account when you know what's going to happen and you can get 60 times the amount wow. if you're taking this seriously and you lose all your money on thursday that's on you so do not bet all your money on this bet this is a so, um, shout out to j dog who's a new member at win daily who is uh you guys know him because he's posted some of his bets before he's in our discord under a different name um at payout nation but the point is this is a big better and he's tailed some of our not just mine spencer's as well joel maybe I, I think yours as well i don't know how much he makes like i would never ask that question but 
he cashes in on some of these in a gig- like in a way that you're almost like that's like fake but like you know he's shown us like it's very much not fake so he's in our discord now and he's he's going to be such a big asset to our discord not just from a not just from a betting standpoint but just the discussion it's going to be you know we got coach in there we got so many like really different personalities in there and um anyway shout out to him shout out to anybody who wants to join wind daily because it's like incredibly cheap and you get like just being in our discord i actually think the value is in our discord as much as it is, is it is in the optimizers and the projection models which you know again i think it's like 5.99 a week for wind daily sports check it out at winddailysports.com but um yeah he uh he's encouraged by these first round leader picks he said it in discord earlier and i i if one of these hits um we're gonna see a big ticket because uh i already know how much he puts down on these which again I do not endorse putting a lot of money on the first round leader picks. Let me just be very clear. But what I'm really saying is put all your money on the first round leader picks. I'm looking at you, the camera, you watching right now, all your money, all of it. Don't do that. Do that. If you were going to buy a mortgage for like a dollhouse, that's the amount of money you should put on this bet. For sure. The dollhouse mortgage. The the toy though, not the real. Yes. (laughs) Um, This is an interesting question. Ivan, is that the UCF game in the background? Yes. I have SMU plus three. It's kind of like a fun money bet. It's not like a big bet for me. Um, I didn't really have a a super big lean on this one, but SMU has the ball. They're down 17-13. It's early third quarter. I have them plus three. I get a nice little sweat for a Wednesday night football game. I love it. And don't forget, feel free to tune in Friday night. Our college football show has been hot. We'll give you some winners. If you've been following or playing, you're definitely winning money with us this year. Uh, but that's all Win Daily. It's really that easy. Just pay a couple bucks a month, and all of a sudden you're turning that into big profits every weekend like we do. That's a wrap for this week. Good luck at the Shriners. See you. Did I forget anything? Yeah, you forgot to say what time your show is on Friday, your college football show. Friday, Friday night, nine o'clock, maybe nine fifteen. Maybe come times are a little bit late, but you know, Friday nine or nine fifteen. Tune in. Incorrect. The time is sports. That's true.